Praise God. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. I'm sure that everyone has heard the old expression that says, um, that says, seeing is believing. I'm sure everyone has heard that expression, seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. Well, I think that the originator of that expression is probably right there in the Bible. Let's go to the book of John. Seeing is believing. Okay? We've all heard that expression. Go to the book of John, chapter 20. Book of John, chapter 20. Seeing is believing. Oh, the weather's going to be so and so and so and so. Oh, seeing is believing. Or, I'm going to pay you back that money I owe you. Well, seeing is believing. We've all heard that expression before. So, again, I think it started right here in the Bible. So, chapter 20 and going to verse number 24. But Thomas, this was after Jesus had made his appearance and after he had risen from the grave and had visited the apostles. Okay, 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So underline, please, I will not believe. And underline up there later where it says, Except I shall see. Up there earlier, rather, where it says, Except I shall see. And then he says, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Underline, be not faithless, faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Underline that. Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, yet have believed. Okay, so underline that also. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. All right? Again, Jesus said, because you believe me, because, I'm sorry, because you have seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet still have believed. So this is where I think, you know, I mean, I'm kind of probably making this up. It may not have actually started here, but Thomas is a good example of seeing is believing. All right. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said that blessed are those that yesterday believe, even though they haven't seen. So if you are a quit or a Christian, you shouldn't have that mantra or that thought process that says seeing is believing. You shouldn't have that thing that says, well, gee, was if I don't see it, I can't believe it. So what a Christian should be looking at, our chant, our mantra, our confession should be believing is seeing. Instead of seeing is believing, it should be believing is seeing. Believing comes before seeing. Believing comes before seeing. If, 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 if it is possible for God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in your life, you've got to believe it before you can see it. So it's just the opposite of seeing is believing. If God is going to accomplish in your life what you're hoping he will accomplish, what you're praying for, you've got to get to the point where you are believing before you actually see it. Let's go to Matthew 17. 
Matthew 17. We have to change our way of thinking and how we how we view life, you know, and it's so common for people to easily say seeing is believing. Well, if I see it, then I can believe it. Matthew 17. And we're going to go to verse number 14. Matthew 17, verse number 14. 17, 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Underline, and they could not cure him. Brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, underline that, because of your unbelief, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, underline the word say, you shall say unto this mountain, Remember hence, I'm sorry, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible to you. And nothing shall be impossible to you. Okay? So you see there, Jesus said to them that the reason that they could not accomplish what was needed to be accomplished was because of their unbelief. Jesus was frustrated because he was wondering and asking, how long will it take them to believe and understand his word? How long will it be before you take me, Jesus is saying, at my word? If you will exercise biblical faith, not man's faith, but if you will exercise biblical faith and take God at his word and act in light of what he says, you will actually see more. You will actually see more in your life. If you're waiting to see it before you'll believe it, it's possible that you may be waiting a long time. If you're standing around waiting for God to prove it and to show you something before you actually believe him, it's possible that you may be waiting a long time. But if you will believe it first and then act in accordance with God's word or whatever it is that he's telling you to specifically to do. OK, if you will, if you will believe it and act on God's word or whatever he is specifically telling you to do, you will begin to see some things that will be beyond your comprehension. You will begin to see God moving in your life in a way that you wouldn't believe if you if you're willing to get to the point where you can believe it before you actually see it. In fact, Jesus said that you can speak to the mountain. And it will be removed. The mountain is anything in your life that seems to be impossible. Okay? I'll repeat that. The mountain in our lives is anything that we view to be impossible. Be it health, be it a situation, be it finances, be it something that's going on in your life, and you don't know how to deal with it, you can't deal with it. Well, that's a mountain. That's a mountain. But Jesus said that you can speak to that mountain and it'll be removed. Whatever is too tough for you will be taken care of if you can simply speak to your problem. Now, this is not me saying this. This is Jesus saying that. But the problem is, is that will you believe it before you actually see the results in your life? So let's start putting our belief before our sight so that our sight will reflect our belief. I'll say that again. Let's start putting belief before what we see or our sight so that we will start seeing what we actually believe. 
Now, it almost seems intuitively that it almost seems to be backwards. You're telling me to believe something before I actually see it. Well, in God's kingdom, yes, that's exactly how it works. Okay. now we're not talking about to believe something, uh, believe something that the guy in Walmart told you or the guy in Winco told you. We're talking about something that God is telling you. So if you can believe what God is saying to you, take him at his word then you'll start seeing some things happening in your life. And that has to start now. It has to be with now faith. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11. Old familiar scripture. Okay. Hebrews 11, and we'll we'll do verse number 1. Okay? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You probably already have that underlined in your Bible. If not, please underline it all. Now faith, and really double emphasize the word now. So that means now. Don't wait until tomorrow. You know, you know, one of the greatest weapons that the devil uses against us is procrastination. One of the biggest weapons that the devil uses about us is you can wait. You can wait. God is telling you to do something. God is calling you to prayer. God is calling you to change your pattern. God is calling you to to say this or do that. And then what the devil and God is saying, do this now. What the devil's weapon with us is say, you can do it tomorrow. You can do it 12 hours from now. Or you can do it after you eat dinner tonight. And here it is eight o'clock in the morning. You can do it after you come home from work. Waiting, putting it off. The biggest weapon. God says now faith. Now faith is the substance. It's what is what it's made of, of things that are hoped for, the things that you're hoping for. Now faith is the substance of it. It's the evidence of things that you have not seen. Sometimes we could actually be blocking our own blessings because of the fact that we're not willing to do what God is telling us to do right now. Don't be putting it off. You know, you know, you could be outside, I don't know, doing some gardening or, or, or something, you know, outside washing your car or whatever like that. And Holy Spirit may whisper something to you, something that he wants you to do. The devil will say, you can do that after you finish gardening. You can do that after you finish washing your car. You can do it later. You can do this. You can do that instead of doing it now. Sometimes God wants us to act on what he's saying and believe what he's saying. If you believe it, then there's no telling what you may wind up seeing. If you go to our um, John 11, talking about blocking, go to the book of John. We go to some other familiar scriptures here. Okay. And this is the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead. We're going to read quite a bit of 11 here, and you know it's an old familiar story, but I want you to focus on something different here um, than what we usually look at here with the raising of Lazarus. 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse number 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was, um, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick, meaning Lazarus. When Jesus heard that, uh, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Underline that, please, if you don't have it underlined. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Underline that, too, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. 
Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. So he didn't get up and leave right away. He sat around or stayed for two more days where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciple, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not, because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. They didn't understand, in other words. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Flat out, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent you may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. So in other words, Jesus is saying that it's a good thing that I am here because Lazarus died while I was not there so that you don't start thinking that I had something to do with, with anything else to, to, to prevent his dying or anything. He died while I'm, while I'm here. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. There's that negative confession. Thomas is quite a negative guy. We just read a few minutes ago. He didn't believe that Jesus uh, had even appeared to the, to the uh, uh, disciples. But here he's making a negative confession, okay, that we may die with him. Jesus didn't say he was going there to die, so why would he think that? Then, 17, then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave for four days. Now, he was in the grave for four days already. Now, Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs. That's about, about two miles. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary's still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. See, she didn't realize that Jesus was talking about now, okay? He'll rise in the, in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, underline that, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Underline, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Underline that, please. Believest thou this? Ask yourself now, do you believe what Jesus just said? You know, that whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Believest thou this? 27. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when he had said so, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard, heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews that which were with her in the house and comforted her, then uh, when they saw Mary, they, um, that they rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth into the grave to weep there. Again, a negative confession. Okay, to go into the grave to weep. Verse 32. 
Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. Okay, now Jesus always knows what's going on and he still tarried. 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews saw her and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? You see, they're thinking again now. If Jesus had been there, they would have prevented him from dying. But there was another point that Jesus wanted to make. Remember earlier he said that this is happening so that God should be glorified and that Jesus would be glorified in him. So verse 38 goes on to say now, Jesus therefore, again groaning in himself, comes to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Please underline that. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he had been there four days. Now, understand what happened here. Jesus gave her a direction. Take away the stone. All of a sudden now, she falls back onto her own rationale, her own thinking. You know, the science in her, if you will, starts coming out like is what we do as human beings. When God tells us to do something, we start coming up with physical reasons why it wouldn't make sense to do that. Jesus simply said to her, take the stone away. But all of a sudden now she becomes a, a funeral director and starts talking about, well, he's been in the grave for four days, so the body's rotted, so surely he stinks. But what did God tell her to do? To take away the stone. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou would believe, underline, if thou would believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Underline the word believe again. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, loose him and let him go. Loose him and set him free. So again, now what we see here is the, the part I want to focus on about this very familiar event in the Bible, Lazarus being raised from the dead, was that Jesus told her to, to remove the stone. All throughout this discourse, this conversation with them, he was talking about believing. He said, remove the stone. He didn't, didn't ask Mary to tell me, do you think his body rotted? Do you think he stinks? Or do you think he's, 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 do you think he's in a point that he can be revived? Jesus simply said, remove the stone. But she went and got scientific. She went and got re relying on her own thought process. Well, why is God telling me to remove the stone from someone that's been in there four days? Knowing that anybody that has died has been in an enclosed tomb for four days surely would be stinking and would be decaying, etc., etc., removing the stone. How does this relate to what we're talking about today? We're talking about believing, believing before seeing, instead of seeing is believing. 
Sometimes we put our own obstacles in the way. God will tell us to do something in our lives. God will give us a directive. God will give us a, a feeling in our spirit to go and do something. And then you will sit there and all of a sudden you start rationalizing and reasoning why this wouldn't work. Well, God said to do this. God said to do that. Why would that work? You know, according to the laws of physics or because of so and so, what I was told, that just would not work. And so therefore you start arguing with God when God simply said, do this or do that. Remove the stone. So that thing in your life that God could be telling you to do or believe for or believe in, if you're rationalizing in your mind, well, why God's word can't seem to work because of A, B, C, and D, A, B, C, and D. This is just like that stone that was in Lazarus's tomb. Jesus wanted her to believe and see beyond the stone. God wanted him, him her to, to, to not reason, but to just believe, believe that what God said, this is what I'll do. You see? And so she was standing in her own way. And this is where God is talking about Jesus saying that if you believe, if you believe, if you believe. So sometimes we can stand in our own way because of the fact we will have a stone in our life and God will say to remove it. And this is how you remove it. Okay? He said, remove the stone. Roll it away. God will say, this is what I want you to do. Roll it away. And don't go in your mind, start thinking about why it can't work. The doctor said this, the, the, the finance guy said this, the bank said this, the whatever, the whatever, the whatever. You know, the legal system is this, the legal system is that. You can't go by that. If God says to do something, don't let that stone be that you simply roll it away. Because what you're doing, if you're trying to figure out how it's going to work, then you are in essence saying, seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. You're in essence saying to God, well, God, if you show me how if I do so and so, how if I act in this particular manner, then God, yes, then I will do. But you show me how it's going to work. That's when you're saying, well, seeing is believing. What God is telling us as his children, as Christians, is that we should be saying believing is seeing. Because if I believe, then I indeed I will see. Jesus, in essence, said, said you will not see, see behind the stone until you remove the stone. True faith acts as though God is correct, even though we haven't seen the results yet. All right, I'll repeat that. True faith, um, true, true faith acts as though God is correct, even though we haven't seen the results yet. Believing first and then seeing. Many times God will tell us to remove an obstacle so that we can see our miracle, but that stone gets in the way. Martha could not see behind the stone to see the miracle, so she just assumed the situation was impossible. Because of her education and her logic, she stood in her own way. We need to take God at his word, take him at his word, and simply do what he asks us to do without seeing it first. Without seeing it first. You've heard me talk about a dozen times about the time the Holy Spirit has told me to walk around a woman three times and lay hands on her and she would be touched and healed. And so I didn't stand and argue with God. Well, what walking around her three times have anything to do with what we're doing here today? What, do, what sense does that make? No, you can't do that. You simply have to do what God is wanting you to do. OK, and that therefore that's believing before you see. Sometimes we have trouble believing and exercising the faith as we may want to. Sometimes we could use the help of those that are around us. Go to Mark 2. Mark 2. Anytime you are, 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 are looking to or trying to shift your way of thinking, especially pertaining to biblical things, the devil will give you a million different reasons why it doesn't make sense to do it. 
And this is where it just simply gets back to obeying God and believing God. Mark chapter 2. But sometimes, sometimes we may have a hard time uh, uh, doing that on our own. So we may need, need the help of those that are around us. Chapter 2, verse number 1. Um, and again, he entered in, into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as, a, as about the door as he preached the word unto them. And they, can, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So one man came in, which was being carried by four men. And when, and when they could not come nigh him, because of the press, because of the crowd, in other words, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where the sick of the palsy lay. So in other words, they couldn't get into the door because there were so many people there. So they decided, we're going to climb up on the roof. We're going to take off the roofing here. We're going to let him down through the roof. When Jesus saw their faith, underline that, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive him, give off sins but God only? And immediately, uh, and immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason you these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say of the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he rose up, up off the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it, we never saw it in the, on this fashion. So here you see, his friends were so determined, because his friends had faith in Jesus. That they went through all of these ends to, to get their friend into the house to be touched. Jesus not only healed him physically, he healed him spiritually because he said that his sins indeed were forgiven. Sometimes it's good to be involved with a community of people, family, or friends that have strong faith in God. Because sometimes we need to draw on their faith to get through a particular situation in our lives. Sometimes we have difficulty in mustering up enough faith on our own. So it's good to seek others with strong faith so that we can sort of piggyback on their faith. The man in Scripture had enough faith to trust his friends. The man with the palsy had enough faith to trust his friends because he knew where they were at spiritually, so to speak, to pick him up and hoist him through the roof without dropping him. That's another thing they had to be concerned about. What about if they dropped him? The man believed that if his friends could help him, he would be healed. Sometimes someone with weaker faith needs to lean on someone with stronger faith. So as long as the person being, being leaned on is one that is looking at Jesus and not some other ungodly practice, we should seek them out to help our faith. In other words, in other words the person that you're looking to, to lean on for faith needs to be someone who is a strong Christian in Christ and not someone that's into occult practices, obviously, or something like that. We need to make sure that that person is a person of God. Okay? And sometimes just by, 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 by seeing your faith and knowing how strong you are in, in God, the person having faith in getting help in you being on one accord with them will help them with their faith. So this is what this is all, all about with uh, helping the, uh, the man with the palsy through the roof. And now if you go to Mark 4... Praise the living God. Mark chapter 4. 
Okay. And we see that in verses 13, starting with verse 13 through 34, there's the parable of the sower. You know, it talks about the seeds being sown and falling by the wayside and so forth. And then we see in Mark 35, we see where Jesus is giving Mark 4, verse 35, where he's giving the giving the explanation. And we'll start with 35. And the same day. Uh, when the evening was come, he saith unto them, let us, after he had given them the explanation of this, the seeds being sown. Well, let me, let me back up and set the stage for it. He was preaching to the crowd and he talked about the parable of the, of the sword, you know, and how when they uh, uh, received God's word, some fall by the wayside and so on like that, and some are eaten up by thorns and so on. That, that person that receives the seed in good ground and holds on to the word, he's the one that winds up prospering. That was, that was the subject of his sermon, so to speak, to all these people, okay? So now, in verse number 35, he's telling them, okay, let's depart from here. So now, in verse 35, it says, And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Okay, he says, okay, let us go to the other side. Now, he doesn't say, let us try to go on the other side. He says, let us go to the other side. Verse 36 says, and when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And uh, there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat unto the ship. So it was now. So it was now full. And. And he was in the hinder part or the back of the ship, asleep on a pillow, underline asleep on a pillow, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and saying unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now, Jesus had said, let us go to the other side. That means in Jesus' mind, he intended to successfully get to the other side. Don't you know, care if whether or not we perish? Verse 39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and saith unto the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great Calm, And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Please underline. How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, he just got through giving that, 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 that wonderful sermon on sowing seeds and receiving the word and being, being faithful and standing and being strong in the word. Yet still, in this little bit of wind, what happened? Well, it was a storm. I wouldn't say a little bit of wind. But in this storm, right away, they started panicking. Now, it says that Jesus was laying on a pillow. So that means that if Jesus went down on a pillow, he was on a pillow. That means that he didn't go below, below uh, deck to just, and just fell asleep accidentally. He laid down. That means he was intending to go to sleep. That means that Jesus was relaxed enough to know that they were going to get to the other side. But these men who were there with him, when they saw the storm and the ship was, was rocking back and forth right away, they started panicking, losing exactly what the sermon was about and losing their faith all of a sudden. And yet then they call on Jesus. And again, Jesus is saying, you, you know, why is it that you have no faith? And like I said, Scripture said he had the pillow, so that meant that he intended to get the faith, to get to sleep, some sleep and, re- and relax. Sometimes we feel that God is sleeping. When we need him the most, we're calling for things in our life and we're praying for things in our life. And maybe God to you is tarrying. It may seem like God is sleeping. Okay, it may seem that way. And theologically, you know, we know technically, of course, God never sleeps. But as far as our experience is concerned, it may feel like God is sometimes asleep in our life. Jesus said to them, oh, you have no faith. Why should he say that considering the big storm that they were in? They were in a big storm, so why would Jesus say, you have no faith, you have little faith? Jesus had, like I said, Jesus had said, get to the other side, didn't say try. 
When God, some, when God says something, he means it, even when there are interruptions along the way. What God is saying in his word to us, that God means that, even if there are interruptions. If God said he loves you and that you're going to prosper, that means that that is what's going to happen. There may be interruptions around along the way. There may be a storm. These are the tribulations that Jesus talked about. It doesn't change what God said. God said he's going to bring you through it. God said you're going to prosper. God said you shall have life and have life abundantly. God said that you are healed. Amen. So that means that God means that. Does it mean that a storm won't come your way? There won't be a quote-unquote interruption? No, there will be. But in the meantime, we simply keep our, hand, our eyes and our hands on Jesus and look forward to what he is saying. We can't be saying, well, well, Jesus, I see something different. You have to believe so that you can see. If you start going, doing things based on what you're seeing, then you're not going to possibly see the end result that God wants you to see. So you have to believe before you actually see it. When God makes a promise to us, we think there's going to be smooth sailing and there oftentimes is not. Jesus then said, peace, be still. Peace, be still. He didn't say that they had, they, they, they said they had little faith. They said that they had no faith. So if there's a problem that's in your life, don't look at the storm, but engulf yourself in the word of God. Enwrap yourself in it. Make sure that you're praying and make sure that you're getting to the point that you can actually be strong enough to, 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 to believe God before you actually see it. Like I said before, if you start waiting until you see something, you, you could wait and be waiting a possibly a long time. God wants to have your belief first. If there's a problem in your life, don't look at that storm, as I said. The same way Jesus relaxed and brought a calm to the storm, storm you must relax the same way. Ever try thinking, thinking in your heart and thinking that when you are going through something, think that while Jesus is relaxed, because Jesus already said what he's going to do, Jesus has already said what he's already done, okay, because in God's realm, if God said this is what's happening, I mean, it's a done deal, that we should almost get a pillow and lay down next to Jesus and relax with him. Relax with him, because he is the one that's carrying out everything. You don't have to be worried about it. God will get you to the other side, so to speak. If you can start actually believing before you can see, you'll see your prayers answered. You've got to change your whole thought process. You can't be just waiting until, well, I'm looking for some signs here to see God answering. God said that this is what he's going to do. You have to believe it. And then you'll wind up seeing things a whole lot differently. You'll see different results in your life so that you don't wait. You don't wait to see before you believe. Believe before you can actually see. You know, you know, God is out there and the whole thing is based on, you know, the atheist will challenge us or try to challenge us and say, how can you believe in a God that you can't see? Well, that's exactly what it's all about. It's believing in a God that we can't see. We have his word. We have his word. We have Holy Spirit. We know experientially, we know through the things that happen, that has happened in our lives, that God does indeed exist. Amen. So why do you always have to have some sort of proof? You just have to believe, okay, and then you will see. Believe, and then you will see. Praise God. I pray and I hope that this message has been a blessing to you. And uh, think on these things, think on, on as you move forward in life and look to changing the way you, you carry out your life and you'll see many blessings. So now before we close, let us prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings.